Are you in the middle of a crisis? Pastor Ed Taylor says, be mindful of what God is up to through it all. It's in times of great distress that God develops great faith. And it's times of great difficulty that God develops great prayer lives. And it's times of great agony that God develops great men and women who completely devote themselves eternally to the things of God so that finally our hearts are pouring out and resonating with Jesus when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And our hearts respond, yes, Lord, I want to seek the things of the kingdom. This is outside of my control. But there's a battle, isn't there? This is amazing grace. When we're desperate and all hope seems lost, where do we turn? Well, some might reach for a gallon of ice cream or the bottle or pills of some sort. But it's at that time that we really need to turn to the Lord. And that's exactly what Hannah did in her desperate situation. That comes to our attention today on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor returns to his series, Help for the Troubled Heart. We'll also discover what God can accomplish in our lives through the pain. 1 Samuel chapter 1 in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Crisis is God's Tool to Get More of You. The Crisis is God's Tool to Get More of You. And chapter 1 opens up with great difficulty and desperation. We're introduced to a woman by the name of Hannah, and she is in a miserable place of desperation in her life. She's barren, unable to produce children. She's married to a man who has another wife. She is watching that other wife bear children, and that other woman is taunting her, mistreating her, and making life even more miserable for her. So Hannah is sad. She's broken. She's misunderstood. And she's desperate. Yet out of Hannah's broken desperation... She came to a place of dedication and surrender like never before. That God used all of these circumstances in her life to draw her into a deeper, more fruitful relationship with him where desperation became dedication. And so Hannah, she does in this time what many of us would do. She goes to the place of worship, a particular place that represented the worship of God. She heads to the tabernacle. She's looking for help. What we would say today is that she's in such a difficult place that she goes to church. She goes to church looking for help. And when she arrives, she begins to pray and seek God for her difficulty. Notice in verse 12 with me in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, 
I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. So he heads to the place of worship and is met by Eli, a corrupt priest. And instead of ministering to her and serving her and encouraging her in the things of Yahweh, he accuses her of being drunk. Get out of here, drunk woman. Stop drinking. And here she is at every place that she's turning, she's met with resistance. No one can help her. No one will help her. And she responds so graciously, no, my Lord, I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. It's, it's really one of the most beautiful descriptions of what we read in Romans chapter 8 when Paul speaks of a time where the Holy Spirit's in us and he says, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And with Hannah, there was no sound, there was no utterance, just the groaning of her spirit praying desperately with her faithful God. And it's too often that our prayers, our prayer life is merely just from our head and not from our hearts. Where we go through the motions and we do have a prayer life, but it's not desperate. It becomes ritual or routine. And how God wants to deepen our prayer life. And you know what he does to do that? He brings about painful trials and hardships and allows great difficulties to enter into our lives. And I know that God sometimes will bring us to that place of utter desperation and despair, which then brings us to a deeper place of prayer, a place of uh, a, a really a crossroads, a place of decision. Will we press into the things of God no matter what we feel and no matter what we see, or will we turn away from God? Will we be crushed under the weight of the trial in the earthly realm or will we bear up under the weight in the spiritual realm from the Lord? And it brings us to a place of growth that we don't normally enter into, that we don't normally experience when we really get desperate before God. I know for me personally, for my family personally, when my son Eddie died in May of 2013, our lives have become one desperate cry for his presence. Mixed in with a little bit of resistance and pride and battling in the spiritual realm, but our prayer lives have become, you know, give me, don't give me something, God. Give me you. I'm not coming to God with a whole list of things that I want from him anymore. Of all the things I want him to work out and place in order and take care of this, but rather... The desperation becomes, God, I need more of you. That's why I need more of you. You're sovereign in my life. You're in the control of my life. You saved me. I trust in you. And so Hannah, she responds, I'm not drunk. I'm desperate. I'm expecting God to answer me. I'm so desperate. I don't have any words to say. I'm praying to God in my heart. And I'm overwhelmed by my circumstance. And she comes to that place of trust and faith and prayer. She's responding very graciously and kindly. Well, what I believe is a great example of that peace that passes all understanding because the sister's really going through it. Now I have to say that it's easier, and I'm sure many of you would agree, it's easier to study these things in someone else's life than it is to live it out in our own. 
I mean, that's what, that's what we would want. I, I'd love to open up the Bible and study this person, study this person, and learn all the lessons in life that I need to learn by studying someone else's life. And, and if, if, that is, if that is not how you feel, then for those that don't feel that way, then I'm sure it's the way that you would prefer to not have to go through these types of things, but rather to learn it from someone else. But that's not the way of God. God uses our life circumstances and our difficulties to bring us closer to him. That's his plan. It's in times of great distress that God develops great faith. And it's times of great difficulty that God develops great prayer lives. And it's times of great agony that God develops great men and women who completely devote themselves eternally to the things of God so that finally our hearts are pouring out and resonating with Jesus when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And our hearts respond, yes, Lord, I want to seek the things of the kingdom. This is outside of my control. But there's a battle, isn't there? We're all engaged in this battle as followers of Jesus Christ. It's the battle that the Bible describes as the flesh against the spirit. The flesh against the spirit. Now for those of you not too familiar with the Bible, you might think of flesh as the skin on your body, but that's not what the Bible's teaching. When the Bible uses the word flesh, it's a technical word that's used to describe life apart from God. The way we live life without God For many of us, the way we lived life without God before we got saved, it refers to the sinful habit patterns that we have in life that we revert to when times get tough. The idols in our life that we worship and we prop up. The things that we run to. Some listening to me right now, the temptation is before you to turn back to the bottle in this crisis. That's what you think. You think if I could just numb the pain, if I can just not feel it for a while, I'll do so much more. And yet God warned you today, don't turn back to the bottle because it will destroy you. And if it's not the bottle, it's the pills. And if it's not the bottle, if it's not the pills, it's the leaves. And whatever it is that you can get out of your situation physically, even if just for a moment, mentally. And there are testimony after testimony among us that would say, don't do it. Don't do it. It'll only make things worse. The battle between the flesh and the spirit, the eternal perspective of God, the power of God that resides in every true believer that the power that lives for God, like the, the animated power of God living in you, there's a battle because you want to go this way and the Spirit wants to take you this way, but you want to go this way, take things into your own hands. And Hannah here is in a crisis, a severe crisis like she's never experienced before in her life. And she's gone just about as far as she can go in all of her worship and desire and prayer. She's about as far as she can go her pain leads her to the tabernacle. She needs to hear. While, the, while Eli comes and says, you're drunk, notice what's really happening in verse 10. What's really happening in Hannah's heart is that she was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. How careful we need to be when we're serving other people as if we know everything that's going on in their life. We don't. And the last thing someone in pain needs is some accusation, some assumption. 
especially from those of us that follow God and our spiritual leaders. She's met with an unspiritual, uncaring, insensitive spiritual leader. All of this after she's met with an, a, a husband that, that doesn't really get it, doesn't really understand. Notice with me in verse 8 of chapter 1, as she is sharing and weeping and not eating, she's just going through it. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? To which we all yell, no, you knucklehead. No, you don't, you don't even, you know, men, you need to be sensitive to your wives. And if you think, well, aren't I good enough for all the things that you're missing? I'll answer that for her right now. No. She needs you to understand and study her and minister to her and be patient with her. Hannah is at a loss. Everywhere she's turned, there's no help. And so she faithfully turns to the Lord and doesn't stop. You see, with Hannah... With Hannah, you have to understand something because we're so familiar with the Bible. We read the Bible so much that we forget, and it's easy to forget, that, that, that people in the Bible are living this real time. Hannah doesn't know how this is going to end. She doesn't know. And for all intents and purposes, as she's turned every other way, there's a, there could be an equal expectation that this isn't going to work either. God has abandoned me. Where is he? It would be very natural to feel it. She doesn't know how it ends. We know how it ends because we have the whole book. She doesn't know how it ends. Just like you today, you don't know how it's going to end, this side of eternity. You don't know. You don't know when it's going to end. And you're living it right now, in this moment, this time, right now. But you don't know. You don't know how God's going to work. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know. But we can take great courage and we can take great comfort of how God has helped men and women of the past to bring things to resolution in their lives. See, she doesn't know. And yet she cries out all the more. Those times in our lives where we are met with severe spiritual crisis are always used by God. In the end, we'll be able to declare them as the good tools in the hand of God. You know, the trial itself isn't good. The results of sin aren't good. You know, when, when God tells us that he's working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose, that, that verse, that truth is not saying everything's good. But rather, God will take all the good and all the bad and work them together in his will and his purposes. And as we look back on things in our lives, we can see how God's used things in the past, where we are met now again with a spiritual fork in the road, a place of great monumental decision. We come to the end of ourselves and all of our resources, and we don't see any good in it at all from the human side. It's all bad as far as we're concerned. And yet from heaven's perspective, we will be able to see God as a potter with clay in his hands, spinning the wheel of circumstance and life 
and fashioning and molding that clay into exactly what the potter wants it to be. And all along the way, we just kind of feel like a lump of clay and there's no purpose. And what will turn out of this? What will come out of this? And yet, all the while, the wheel is spinning. The wheel is spinning and the potter's molding and we're hurting, maybe even wondering what in the world is God gonna do with this? Once in a while, God deals with us. And he deals with us in such a way where he wants us just to stop and put everything on the table with him. He wants our whole heart offered to him. He desires for us to bring, to come, he desires to bring us to a whole new level of commitment and service and readiness and faith and trust that in many cases we didn't even know was possible in our lives. Now there aren't many of these huge crises in our lives, but there are some. And I realize and recognize that many of you are in the middle of it right now. And God wants to remind us that he's drawing something out of us, adding something to us as he fashions and molds our life. That's where Hannah is and where many men and women of the Bible have been. That great cloud of witnesses of the faithfulness of God. If you're taking notes, just jot down a few names. You'll, you'll read the Bible a little differently in light of this theology of suffering. I'm reminded of Abraham. What a man of worship. What a man of faith. What a man of integrity. He loved God. And the Bible says that he built many altars, which speaks to us of a life of worship and sacrifice. He, he stepped out in faith to obey God, to go to a land that he didn't know where he was going. But then there was that time when God requested the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. You'll remember Isaac. This is the promised child of God given to Abram and Sarai in their latter years, 99, 100 years old, and God produces a miracle in the womb and brings about Isaac. And there they are living. This is the child that came after Ishmael as they tried to attempt the will of God in their flesh. And what does God say? Give me Isaac. Sacrifice him, Abraham. And in the biggest crisis of his life, he took Isaac up onto the mountaintop to sacrifice him, only to find out that God wasn't really asking for Isaac. He was asking for Abraham. And it was there that God intervened and said, no, 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 I have provided myself a sacrifice. And it was through Abraham's faith that we have the greatest picture, one of the greatest pictures of Jesus Christ coming to sacrifice his life for you and me. Oh, if not Abraham, what about Moses? Moses described in the Bible as a man, the most humble man to ever walk on the planet Earth. A humble servant, faithful, that I believe at an early age he recognized the calling of God upon his life as the deliverer. And what a miraculous story in Moses' life to preserve his life and to preserve him to be faithful in obeying God. But in that desire to deliver he took things into his own hands and he broke up a fight between an Egyptian and an Israeli and he ends up killing the Egyptian. He ends up doing something that God never asked him to do, taking things into his own hands. And it was after that murder that Moses finds himself on the backside of the desert, a place of decision. 
But it was in the wilderness that he learned, in the desert times, that he learned to worship God. He learned to hear God's voice. And then he came to that place where the bush in front of him started to burn. Isn't that amazing? There he is, rehearsing all the difficulties of life, learning to worship, and then there's a bush that is on fire. And not only is it on fire, but it begins to speak to him. And what's so miraculous is Moses listens to the bush. Now, I don't want you guys going out into your backyard <laughs> expecting the bush that's on fire. Get the fire extinguisher. I mean, you want to step out and fade great, but hey, he listens and God speaks to him and raises him up as a deliverer. And he chooses to walk through the pain to be used of God to deliver the children of Israel. God wanted more of Moses, not less. He wanted Moses to learn how to trust in him more, not less. How about David? David, that young boy who loved God and he worshiped God and he obeyed his daddy and enjoyed so many wonderful experiences from the Lord. He's the one in the Bible that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And yet early in his young life, God brings him to the valley to look down on a giant. To, Goliath is there blaspheming God. Goliath is there calling to the armies, I'll kill you and I'll kill everything about you. I'll destroy you. Your God is nothing. And there's David looking at Goliath rising to the challenge where he's at that fork in the road and he chooses, no, I will go through. You see, David, he killed lions and he killed bears and here he is facing Goliath and God is asking more from David, not less. I want all of you, David. I have plans for your life. Much more than this giant. Then there's Joshua. Joshua is a man who had been around a lot of military campaigns. He was a very faithful servant alongside Moses. He sat in very high-level leadership positions, making very important decisions. He fought and led Israel in many battles and many victories. And there he is on the edge of the city of Jericho, wondering, I don't know about this one. I don't know. This is too much. The walls are too high. And we see him in the beginning of the book of Joshua just really wrestling with fear and anxiety and he's concerned and, and that's, when, that's when a man showed up with a sword in his hand and immediately caught Joshua's attention. He said, who are you for? And the answer was, neither. I'm not for you or against you. God sent me here. God sent me here to encourage you, to prepare you. Joshua is a man of worship, a man of faithful integrity, yet his worship had become regular and routine. And there are those times when God just wants more and he'll use these startling times in our lives. And what happened with Jericho? God gave them the plans and God gave them the victory. It's gonna be okay, Joshua, because I'm gonna fight for you. Trust me. Maybe that's a word for you today and from the Lord. Trust me. We're receiving help for our troubled hearts right now on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. 
When our heart is troubled, we may wonder where to turn. And the Lord in His Word has the help and encouragement we need for those seasons of life. Visit our website at helpforthetroubledheart.com and find resources that can bless your life and help you gain and maintain the right perspective. Again, that's helpforthetroubledheart.com. And if you'd like to request this entire series called Help for the Troubled Heart or today's study by itself, give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. CD copies are $2. That's 877-304-7223. You can also access the studies online at helpforthetroubledheart.com. We have a couple of apps, too. Listen to Pastor Ed through your mobile device through the Calvary Aurora app. We'd also suggest the Grace FM Colorado app. When our heart is hurting, it's always a good idea to turn to the Lord in prayer. And we'd like to pray for you. Send in your requests to prayer at calvaryaurora.org. And if you'd like to stand with us here at Abounding Grace through your prayers and financial support, that would be a huge blessing. It's your support that allows us to bring these daily studies to this station. Either call 877-30-GRACE or donate online at calvaryaurora.org. Next time on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will continue our series, Help for the Troubled Heart. Invite a friend to listen who could use a little encouragement as well. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor is presented by Calvary Chapel Aurora.